Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's read this together, shall we? Uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, the Word of God says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we study this uh, important topic this evening. It's something that each of us ought to have in our lives, uh, and it'll better our lives. It'll give us peace, stability, strength, uh, and Lord, success. And so I pray that you'd help us to understand it, make room for it, and practice it uh, so that we can bring you much glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want to bring a a simple message entitled, The Practice of Biblical Meditation. The Practice of Biblical Meditation. Now, if I ask you tonight, uh, do you take time to meditate every day? I just want you to answer to yourself. What would your answer be? Do you take time to meditate every day? The average Christian would have to answer no. Uh, We just don't take time to meditate. And in this message, we're going to discuss the importance of meditation in the life of the believer. I think you'd agree with me that life moves quickly, doesn't it? Nowadays, with the uh, advent of technology, life moves faster than ever. There's been a lot of philosophical debate about the uh, effect of technology just on the human condition, uh, where we've been able to be more productive and get more things done in less time, But in many ways, technology has lowered the quality of our life. For example, it used to be that if you were just away from the telephone, you didn't have to worry about phone calls. Now you can get phone calls anywhere, anytime. When email came out, it used to be that you would check your email occasionally. And I remember when the Internet first became publicly available and you had to have your little router there, your modem, and you would have to dial you know, your computer would dial and it would make all these weird noises and you'd have to wait a minute as it connected to the Internet and then you'd type something in. You'd have to wait a minute for the page to come up. Uh, but nowadays, boy, it's just everything's now. Everything's fast. And, uh, but what happens is that just creates more stress and pressure because we're busier than we've ever been before. With the invention of the television, people sleep less during the dark hours. It used to be that people would go to bed at a decent time because you really didn't have much to do staying up late. You got up early, uh, you worked while it was day, you rested in the evening, and either by candlelight or even by electricity, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot to do. Uh, you didn't stay up all hours of the night watching things and, and uh, surfing the web when you should be sleeping and, and playing games. It just it wasn't available. Uh, life was a little bit simpler back then. And technology is interesting because just because we have technology doesn't mean we have the morality to use it correctly. And this is the big challenge uh, and a big philosophical debate even in the tech world. Uh, And and so how does this affect us? Uh, Technology, along with just the speed of life, cars, uh, phones, computers, uh, all the stores, there's just more to do. And then we have more on us to do. Uh, We buy more stuff, and then it requires time to take care of the stuff and maintain the stuff and clean the stuff and organize the stuff. 
And the result is we've all just become way too busy. Most of us are just too busy. Now, some of that's been outside of your control. Uh, there has been a movement, if you study the history of finance in America, some wealthy people figured out that if they could get the, the women to work, that that would be twice the tax income that would come in, and the rich people would have more people working for them, making them more money. Uh, and so uh, using World War II and World War I, as, as especially World War II, as a reason to get ladies working and then teaching them that having a career is better than taking care of your family and, and all of those things, what you've seen now is, think about in the 40s and 50s, a guy could work at the hardware store on Main Street and buy a house and take care of his family. And nowadays we live in a world that's structured to where almost every family has to have two incomes or one large income uh, to take care of a family. Uh, that's by design, I think. Uh, and so, uh, and inflation just keeps increasing. Good night, I can go to the stores and get two or three bags of groceries and they're telling me it's $100. Like $100. I got miles to feed. I got, I got things to take care of. Uh, so what happens? All of this, I think, works together to create a perfect storm to cause us to be too busy, some of it our own fault because we're not good with time management, some of it outside of our control because we have to work more just to live. But the result is busyness. Uh, many people are so busy today that it's hard to catch your breath. Can you agree with me? It's just hard to catch your breath. You wake up, and, and I can work all day long and all night long. And, and you go to bed, and you feel guilty for stopping working. And sometimes you, you get up, and, and you're working uh, uh, early in the morning. Uh, it, it just If we're not careful, that just creeps in. Now, here's the problem. Busyness is the enemy of meditation. So the busier we become, the less we meditate. But God tells us that it's important for us to meditate. So this means that each one of us must make a decision, an intentional decision to meditate and make meditation a regular part of our lives. If you don't decide to meditate, you won't meditate. Hello. Oh, little moth, it's all right. Don't make me pray to kill it. Don't make me pray to kill it. Remember one time we had a wasp or a yellow jacket in the church and it got so bad it was flying around. It would fly over here and people would be like, ooh. It would fly over here and people would be like, ah. And so I bowed my head and prayed and, and, and just went on preaching and I didn't see it again. And a man came to me afterwards. He said, did you see what happened to that bee? I said, no. He said it like went over there on one of those lights and got fried. And I said, well, praise God. Uh, and so, Moth, you're messing with the wrong dude tonight. Um, we'll call down fire from heaven. Now, what is meditation? If we're going to meditate, we need to understand what meditation is. Let me make a distinction. When I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation is taught in false religions and New Age spiritism. I'm not talking about crossing your legs and doing weird things with your fingers and chants and mantras. Uh, no, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, there is a form of silent meditation and mantra meditation. Uh, a matter of fact, uh, a yogi from India uh, made that transcendental meditation movement famous in the mid-1950s. 
I'm not talking about some weird spiritism. I'm not talking about some uh, false uh, religion practice. I'm talking about biblical meditation. Now, what is biblical meditation? According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, meditate simply means to dwell on anything in thought. Well, there's an idea. You just think about something. I mean, on purpose. You just decide to think about something, and then you keep your mind thinking about it. The average American today is a slave to their own brain. They feel like they don't have any control over what their mind thinks about. And at times, your brain will get unruly. You'll have all kinds of weird things. You'll have thoughts. You'll have chaos. The mind can get very chaotic. I, I believe that you can discipline your mind with the help of God to make your mind serve you rather than you just be a slave to whatever thought happens to pass through your brain. Uh, and the difference is dramatic. I mean, it's a dramatic difference when you realize with the help of God, I can uh, control the thought life uh, in my mind. And I can show you verses. We're not going to prove that tonight in the message. I think the, the crowd here tonight knows the scriptures, Second Corinthians chapter 10 and so on. Uh, but we can control our thoughts. And so meditation is simply deciding to dwell on something in thought. It means to contemplate, to study, to turn or revolve any subject in the mind. So uh, we want to think about something. So I want to think all about it. I want to examine it from every, uh, every light, every side. Almost if I was looking at a precious jewel, I would turn it in the light so I could see all the facets of it. And when you're meditating on something, you're looking at, at all the different ways that that thought, uh, what does that mean and how does it apply to me and how can this thought make my life better? What would the world look like if everybody did this? And, and, and why is God telling me to do that? And it's just turning that thought around in the mind, dwelling upon it. We, we spend far too much time thinking about things that don't matter. One man said, you'll become a success at what you think about in your spare time. Isn't that an interesting thought? What do you think about in your spare time? When your mind wanders, where does it wander to? Does it wander to God? Does it wander to the Bible? Does it wander to the, the greater things in life? I was watching a, a, a commentary, and they were talking about this thing going around that Justice Ginsburg, who recently passed, the last thing she said on her deathbed was she wanted to be selected by anyone other than Trump, something like that. And one commentator had enough uh, insight to say, I hope that's not true. You know, on your deathbed, you're th you should be thinking about where you're going to go, reflecting upon your life. And I'm not even convinced she even said that. But if she did, what a sad commentary. That that's where the mind goes. Where does your mind go? Does it go to some game that you've been playing? Does it go to some show you've been watching? I mean, we the backstory of this this series and and all of this, who's this and who's that and there's nothing wrong with thinking about that in its place and those things can be interesting. But how much time do you spend meditating on the things of God versus those things? And what I'm trying to to explain to you tonight is the Word of God teaches us that we should spend time reflecting upon and meditating upon the things of God. And to the extent you do that, you will have success. 
Biblical meditation is the application of the mind to a specific thought, looking at it from all angles. My country preacher likened meditation to a cow chewing its cud. You've all seen that, haven't you? Maybe we grew up in the country. There's more cows, I think, in the county I grew up in than, than uh, people. And you'd see cows just sitting out there, and they'd get down and get a little bit of grass or a little bit of, of hay, and then they just spend all day just chewing. I mean, just chewing. I was doing some research, and it said the average cow spends eight hours a day chewing its cud. That's a lot of chewing. 40,000 times a day, they estimate. Now, what's interesting is these animals, they have four chambers in their stomach. And what they'll do is they'll eat a little bit of grass, and it'll go into one section of their stomach, and it'll get moist and just softened a little bit. And then they have muscles that actually bring that grass back up into their mouth. That softened food is called cud. And so it's partially digested food. They'll eat it, get softened, and then it'll come back up in their mouth. And then they'll just chew on it. And then it goes back down, and there's four chambers of the stomach. These four-chambered animals are called ruminant animals, which is really interesting. Because the word ruminate is a synonym for meditation. And I believe these animals that chew their cud are a living example of this doctrine of meditation. See, here's what happens at church. You get fed something spiritually and you swallow it. And you go home. But then God's plan is for you to bring that thought back up and think about it. And digest it. If you're not digesting what you're eating, you're not getting the benefit from it. If you get uh, an intestinal disease or a a terrible bacteria or a, a virus that can cause dysentery, you can eat food. It just doesn't stay in you long enough to get processed. You can literally starve to death because food is passing through you so quickly that you're not getting any benefit from it. And I wonder how many Christians live that way. They hear the word and it goes in one ear and out the other. And they hear a message, it goes in one ear and out the other. And their spiritual growth is stunted because they don't take any time to bring that thought back up and say, wow, let me think about that. How does that apply to me? And I wonder what other verses would would, would apply to that. And how could that thought change my life? It's in the meditation, the chewing of the cud that you get the nutrients out of God's Word, that you get the, the vitamins and the minerals out of a message so that you can grow spiritually. We all should meditate. They say that animals who chew the cud are healthy. And I believe people who meditate are healthier spiritually, mentally, and emotionally than those who don't meditate. Meditation will help you. It will help you. Matter of fact, meditation can hurt you. You know you can work yourself up to be angry if you just keep thinking about the wrong things. You ever found that out about yourself? 
Do you know you can work yourself into a depression if you just keep revolving something hurtful around in your mind? You just keep thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking every way, every way that hurts you, every way. How could they? How could this happen? How could they? And that has a physical effect on you and a spiritual and, and emotional effect. Well, the same is true when you choose to meditate upon the truth. We're spiritual, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthier than those who don't meditate. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Uh, number one, meditation is commanded by God. Look at, back at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So why are we meditating? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. So we meditate so we can process God's word so we can apply it to our lives. There are far too many people in this world who know the Bible but don't obey the Bible. You get no points for empty knowledge. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you know to do right and you do wrong, then you're going to be punished more than the person who didn't know to do right in the first place. There are no points for biblical knowledge without action. It's in the obedience where the blessing comes. Amen? And so then he goes on to say, why should we do this? For then, after you speak it, you meditate upon it, you observe it, for then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. How many of you would like to prosper? I sure would. None of us want to fail. And then thou shalt have good success. How many want to be successful? I sure would. I don't want to work so hard just to flop and work so hard just to fail. Now, he's not talking here about necessarily the success of the world, although those things certainly come. Let me tell you, God has the, the ability to bless you financially, to bless you relationally, to bless you with good health, to bless you with peace of mind. He can do all of those things. And we find success in the relentless obedience to the word and will of God. But we can only obey God's word when we know what God's word says. There's actually three places in the Bible that, that tell us and command us to meditate. One is in Joshua chapter 1. Let's turn to Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1. Now, what I'm talking about tonight, this should be exciting to you because it doesn't cost really any physical effort. We're not telling you that you have to carve out another evening of your schedule or set aside an entire day to meditate. I mean, you can learn to do this during the normal course of life. This should be exciting. Meditation is something that each one of us can do if we make it a priority. All right, look at Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Those are three things not to do. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. See that? The meditation of God's word. Now, what, what happens upon the meditation of, of God's word? And then and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. So God here uh, showing the difference between the ungodly and the godly. And the thing that really sets the godly apart are these three things uh, not to do 
and these three things to do. And God says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. And meditating upon the law day and night uh, is commanded here and encouraged. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. The word meditate in this verse means to revolve in the mind. And and here's an interesting thought. The, The first two encouraged us to meditate upon the law, upon the word of God. In this portion of Scripture, we are encouraged to meditate upon the teaching of our mentors, those people that God has put into our life. Timothy was exhorted to seriously consider, to take time to reflect upon, to revolve in his mind what? The instructions of the Apostle Paul, the advice that Timothy had been given, the exhortation of his mentor along with the Scriptures upon which they were based. And so, uh, you know, God puts mentors in our life for a reason. He really does. And we ought to take time to think about what we've been taught. Before you just discount your God-given leadership, I'm talking about children, before you just say you're not going to listen to your parents, I'm talking about church members, before you just disregard what the preacher says, I'm talking about employee. Before you just disregard whatever the employer asks you to do, take some time to meditate upon what they've told you. Normally, those people are given leadership because they've earned it and because God has placed them there. And it might be a good idea to give God and give the leadership in your life the benefit of the doubt before you just dismiss what they say. I don't agree with that. How much time have you spent considering what they've said? How many minutes or hours, how many days, how many weeks have you taken to think about and look at every single side of what they've taught you before you just throw it away and follow some newfangled thing or somebody that doesn't care about you or some friend that you know very little about. Some person online that you just follow and boy, they're, they're exciting to listen to and they're interesting. And Do you even know them? You're, you're willing to just throw away the people in your life that love you the most that God's given to you without taking any time at all to meditate? I think this is a large reason why we have so many people go into all this newfangled Christianity mess, this experimental type Christianity where everything goes. As long as you love Jesus, everything goes. No conviction, making sinners comfortable, all this kind of mess. Folks, give God the benefit of the doubt. Give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Someone came to me one time and said, well, we've got to leave the church because we don't, we don't agree with this one thing you teach. And I said, I said uh, how long have you spent studying that thing out? Well, you know, we've been in church a long time, and we've been in other churches, and they didn't worry about that, and we just... No, but how, how, many, how much time have you spent studying that? Well, you know, we've, we've been saved for a long time. No, how much time have you spent studying that? 
And I said, all I ask you to do is study it out before you walk away. At least find out what God says and what you believe about it before you're willing just to throw away relationships, opportunities, your church family, because there's something that you've never even studied that you don't agree with. When I first got saved, I didn't agree with anything. The only thing I agreed was that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Amen? I mean, that's about all I believed. Half the stuff, three-quarters of the stuff my preacher preached, I sat back there with my eyes open and thought, who is this guy? He's like stuck back in the 1950s. Does he know what year it is? Nobody believes this. But I thank God I took the time to study it out. I remember one time the preacher was preaching against rock music and worldly music. I loved worldly music. I listened to all kinds of worldly music. I started studying the Bible to prove him wrong. I'm not kidding. I started studying the Bible to prove him wrong. And you know what I found out in the process? He was right. I started studying the people I listened to and find out about their life. They were morons. They were fools. And here I am, this preacher has been preaching for 30 years. I'm discounting everything he says, standing up, boldly proclaiming the truth. And I'm one of the guys saying, you don't know what you're talking about in my heart. And I find out to say, he's probably more right than anybody knows. And here the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy, meditate upon these things. Don't let it go inside one ear and out the other. Think about it. Process it. Digest it. Make it a part of you so you're not susceptible to all the craziness going on. Then he says, give thyself wholly to them. Once you find out it's right, just give yourself wholly to it. And then thy profiting, that thy profiting may appear under all, he once again teaches that you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed if you meditate and if you digest and process the truth and make it a part of your life. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you invest contemplating the biblical positions and efforts of our church? I mean, do you really meditate on it? And here's my challenge. If you don't if you don't really understand why it's important and you haven't studied it out for yourself, you're probably not going to want to be involved in that area. For example, let's take the, the matter of soul winning. I really believe that if, if every Christian truly understood the heartbeat of Christ and how much emphasis God puts upon getting the gospel out in the word, and we thought about that every day. I mean, if we thought every week about the consequences of heaven and hell, if we really thought about what hell is and what heaven is and, 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 and the really considered the people in our lives, I think we'd tell more people about Jesus. But do you know what happens? We get busy. I do this too. You just get busy. It's easy to get so busy working on the church that we forget to do the work of the church. That would be like a businessman who, Brother John's selling stoves, but all he ever does is paperwork. He never sells a stove. Brother Jim working on computers. All he does is think about computers and 
and learn more about computers, but he never fixes a computer. It's easy to get so busy working in something that we forget to do the work of it. And how many churches today, you've got people singing and, and, and teaching and cleaning and running around and ushering and, and these types of things and greeting. And, but are we getting the gospel out? Churches that don't get the gospel out, they die. They die. And that's just one area where do we, you say, preacher, I, I know, I know about all that. I know you know, but do you meditate on it? Big difference, isn't there? Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. When's the last time you really meditated on being saved? I mean, you really just spent some time thinking about, what if you were lost? What would your life look like? I mean, today, what would your life look like? I mean, if you were lost, think about yourself in hell. Put yourself in hell for five minutes. And then put yourself in heaven for five minutes. I mean, really think about all the glories of heaven and all the blessings of salvation. And I mean, man, it won't take you too long before you get out of an apathetic state. And you're like, yeah, I guess I better go to church today. If I don't, my wife will be mad at me or pastor will be mad at me or uh, I got to do that. No, it'll go from, from that to being, hey, thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm going to heaven. Praise God I'm not lost. And then you'll sing during church. And then you'll have a testimony. And then you'll praise. You might be driving to work or to the store tomorrow, tears running down your face, saying, thank you, Jesus, for saving my wretched soul. Oh, but we're too busy. I'm too busy to think about that. i got bills to pay. i got stuff to do. i got a to-do list longer than I even want to think about. But when we don't meditate... We miss out on the blessing. Can you see it? Number one, meditation is commanded. Number two, meditation is simple. Look at Psalm 46. Meditation is simply contemplating something in the mind. Psalm 46, a familiar verse, but one that is good to meditate upon. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that good? You know, the Bible's saying that if you want to really, really know that, that He is God, you have to stop and be still and let that truth simmer in your heart. Here's a deep truth. You use your mind to meditate, and you take your mind with you everywhere. That means you can meditate. It's simple. You can meditate anywhere. If you choose to place your mind on something, you can meditate anywhere that you can quiet your mind and focus. And when this verse speaks of being still, it's not necessarily talking about stopping all movement, although that's helpful. It's talking about stilling your mind and your heart. Stopping the chaos in your heart. 
stopping the raging waves of your mind, gaining control for a minute, calming all that down, fixing your heart on God. And then you'll realize, wow, He is God. It's easy to forget those things, isn't it? For example, it's easy to forget God's in control when you're so busy. Your days, chaos, you're running around, you're behind. Well, it's easy to forget that, hey, God's still got everything under control, right? We need to be still and know. With a little practice, anyone can meditate. And I think meditation actually has a lot of benefits, but I'll, I'll give you one of them right now. That is, meditation helps you flex the muscle of your mind, teaching you to focus on one thing and block other things out. The power to focus on one thing is a tremendous ability that will help you be successful. And you can practice that every day when you just decide to think about God. When you decide to pray, you know, when we decide to pray and we have to block out everything else, put your mind on God. In, in some ways, that's a form of meditation where you're setting your mind on God and you're blocking other things out. Well, you got to do this. I'm not thinking about that right now. You didn't do this yesterday. I'm not thinking about that right now. You ever notice when you kneel down to pray, your mind just starts thinking about all the things that you should be doing? You got to learn to just block that stuff out. And what I'll usually do is keep a pad of paper with me, and I'll write that down and say, it's not time for that. I'll jot it down and say, I'm not thinking about that. I'll jot it down. I'm not thinking about that. I'm focused here. One way that we meditate is by turning off the programming. It's interesting that the TV calls the schedule of shows programming. And in many ways it is. I think it's kind of ironic or prophetic. They're telling you what to think about. You watch the news, they're telling you what to think about. You turn on a show, they're, you weren't thinking about sodomy, and then they put a sodomite in front of you. Your mind wasn't filled with that curse word, but now they're cursing. You weren't thinking about immodesty, and now they put an immodest lady on the screen. You weren't thinking about these things, but they, they're directing your mind and that's why entertainment is a lazy form of enjoyment because you're, you're letting go of what you're deciding to think about and you're allowing them to put thoughts and pictures in your mind, which there's nothing wrong with that for a period of time and if it's clean. But do you see the power in that if it's not clean? And then for people that watch programming all day, I mean, if you always have to be on the computer, if you always have to be on your phone, if you always have to be listening to music, what you'll find is your, your mind muscle gets weak and then you have a hard time deciding what to think about because you've allowed other people to decide for you. And so I encourage you, there's nothing wrong with listening to a talk radio or good music when you're driving down the road, but sometimes turn that off and think about God. There's nothing wrong with watching TV as long as it's clean, but sometimes turn that off and meditate on the Scriptures. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct your thinking rather than the world. Let me move on. Number three, meditation is rewarded by God. 
In Joshua 1.8, we're promised that our meditation on the Scriptures will be rewarded with prosperity and good success. In Psalm chapter 1, look back at it. Psalm chapter 1. There are four specific promises attached to godly living in the meditation of Scripture. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So imagine a tree that just has everything it needs. It has all the water it needs. All year round. It's not in the desert. It doesn't rely on rainfall. It's planted by the rivers of water. And here the promise is provision. God provides for the person that chooses to live a godly life and dwell upon God. One provision, I believe, is the, the provision of health. Health benefits of meditation are widely, widely known. Even the Bible talks about the health benefits of meditation. Consider Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. That will keep him in perfect peace. Do you know they don't make a pill that can give you peace? There's nothing in this world so precious as just peace within your heart and your mind. There are times I, get, I just get sucker punched. You ever feel that way? Something comes up, I'm dealing with problems, or maybe something you didn't expect, or some life situation. And I feel like twice this week I got kicked in the gut. And it's easy for you to get down. It's easy for you to, to get discouraged. It's easy for you just to start running those things through your mind and your heart. Can I just be real with you? I'm human too, amen? Is it okay that I'm human? Do you all know that? But choosing what to think about, allowing yourself to hurt for a given amount of time, and then setting that aside and choosing how to think about it, choosing to focus on God instead of the hurt, that peace comes. It's priceless. And it's a product of, of godliness and meditation. So provision. The second phrase, bringeth forth his fruit in his season. This is productivity. You can get more done by slowing down and thinking clearly. I used to be a night owl. I've worked over the years to try to make myself a morning person. I'm more productive in the morning. And my wife's really the one that helped me out because I would stay up late working. Kids would go to bed, and, and I'm still up late. And still there are times when I put in very late nights. You know, there, there are some nights, not as often right now, uh, but it's, it's not terribly uncommon for me to work until 10, 11, if I've got a project that has to be done, sometimes midnight. But you know what I found? The later it gets, the slower I get. And my wife finally told me one day, and I was wise enough to, to receive instruction, she said, you know, if you would just, you've done an hour's worth of work in two and a half hours. And she said, if you would just go to bed and get up early in the morning, I think you'd get more done faster. She was right. Can you believe that, guys? These women are right sometimes. How's that possible? Who knew? 
Uh, we have pretty wise ladies. But sometimes you can get more done by slowing down. I like a phrase they use in, in the armed forces, especially in firearms training. They'll say, fast is smooth and smooth is fast. And that really works in anything you're doing. If you get herky-jerky, you're wasting time, you're wasting movement, but if you're, if you're smooth, if you're efficient, that makes you faster. And fast is smooth and efficient. And I, I apply that to my life sometimes. I'll remind myself, no, slow down, be smooth, do it right, think clearly. It takes a lot less time to do it right the first time than have to do it again. And so the promise is here, provision. Number two, productivity. God supernaturally can provide productivity. Number three, protection. His leaf also shall not wither. God protects the mind that's stayed upon him. Clear thinking keeps us from making foolish mistakes. Number four, prosperity. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God blesses the efforts of those who meditate upon him. And so God rewards meditation. And then I'll just mention this lastly, meditation is necessary for godliness. If you're going to live a truly godly life, I mean you're truly striving for holiness and righteousness and godliness, you've got to meditate. You have to take time to deeply digest the things of God so it becomes a part of you versus just letting it go one ear and out the other versus just letting it pass through you without retaining anything, any benefit from it. And so I want to simply ask you tonight, how are you going to practice biblical meditation? When are you going to put this into your life? For every one of you, it's going to be different because your schedules are so different. Uh, Isaac went out into the field to meditate. I've been trying to walk three or four times a week, and I'll, I'll meditate and pray while I walk. That's helpful for me. David meditated upon his bed. Some of you might just need to, to lay in bed and meditate or, or get up a little bit early and meditate. All of us ought to have a, a morning time where we're walking with God. Maybe for some of you, you drive a lot for work or, or shopping or whatever, and you can turn off the radio and the, the, the news and all that, and even good music sometimes and just think. Or sometimes if I'm having trouble directing my thoughts, I'll turn on the audio Bible, so then that helps me get my mind on God, or I'll turn on godly music, and that helps put my mind on God for, it's like a little jump start, and then turn it off and, and think about things. And so it's going to look different for all of you, but take time to meditate every day about God and His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. We pray that you would help us to meditate. Forgive us for not thinking about you. That You are worthy to be thought about. You're worthy to consume all of our thoughts and lord the busyness of life catches us off guard and we struggle uh, to prioritize we struggle to clear our minds and think about things and help us all to build time into our life where we're meditating upon you daily uh, and lord help every time we listen to a sermon or, or try to read your bible we take a moment to try to process that and and think about it even, even after the service is over in the next few days and our daily Bible reading and Bible study as well. Help us to be godly people. Lord, forgive us for um, allowing our minds to drift. Forgive us for thinking sinful and, and empty and vain thoughts. 
But Lord, help us win the battle of our mind so we can live for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar is open. Yeah.